you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. So, not to bring up a sore subject, but I think we're all well aware of the ridiculously high price of a gallon of gasoline these days. And what do we all know about people? When something becomes too expensive, they try to steal it. I take you now to Virginia Beach, where law enforcement officials started getting strange calls about suspicious activity at a local gas station late at night. People said that they saw numerous vehicles and individuals congregating on the property, pumping gasoline when the stations closed. You would think this isn't possible. Well, turns out it surely is. After some investigation, the police wound up arresting two people, both from Norfolk, charging them with grand larceny conspiracy and possession of burglary tools. Possession of burglary tools. Okay, anyway, they had figured out some way to bypass all of the mechanisms that are specifically designed to prevent this. And while the gas station was closed overnight, they were illegally selling somebody else's gas at a pretty good profit, obviously, because they weren't having to pay for it. How were they selling it? An app. Somehow or other, they managed to find customers on an app, told them that the price was, you know, significantly lower. I don't know, say $2.50 a gallon these days. Individuals showed up, got their bootleg gas, took off, and nobody was any the wiser, at least for a while. They also discovered video evidence of the thievery taking place, and the owner of the station had noticed gas was missing, but he had no idea how it was disappearing. Everything on his end, they say, appeared to be normal, so there was no obvious evidence that the gas was actually being taken, even though the numbers didn't make sense. Their advice is that gas stations who close overnight might want to periodically review security camera footage from the last few weeks to ensure they haven't been victims, and then take extra precautions to make sure this doesn't happen again in the future. This isn't the first time, by the way. Newsweek reported in April about $140,000 in gasoline thefts across the country. One case out of Florida, thieves made a homemade device to steal about $60,000 worth of gasoline from two different stations. So just a word to the maybe moderately wise, if you're browsing Facebook Marketplace and you see something that says, hey, come to the local gas and sip, get $2 a gallon gas after midnight, be sure to wait till all the lights are out, you know you maybe want to go a different place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, I'm going to give you a series of words, and then you tell me when you know what I'm talking about. Astoria. Oregon. One-Eyed Willie. Chunk. Okay, by now, hopefully, you know that I'm talking about the classic 1985 film, The Goonies, where a bunch of kids go exploring and find a shipwreck with a bunch of gold on it. Not to give the plot away, it's a little late now if you haven't seen it. But precisely because The Goonies was so popular, Astoria, Oregon is the kind of place where people like to go and pretend and wish and dream and look to see if they might be able to find their own buried treasure somehow or other. I got it! I got it! I don't got it. You clutch. 
And here's the name you want to know. Craig Andes. He's a local commercial fisherman. He's a hobbyist beachcomber. And he says he found pieces of the real-life ship years ago, stumbling across bits of timber sticking out of the sandy beach. But it wasn't until fairly recently that they were able to test those samples to verify that, yeah, he actually did find the wreck of a Spanish galleon. Well, he found bits of the wreck. The name of the ship is the Santo Cristo de Burgos, and it was the inspiration for the booby trap ship in the film. Now, initially, Astoria-based Maritime Archaeological Society members, including Scott Williams, were skeptical of Andy's claims that the timbers are from a wreck, but the experts have now changed their mind, and they believe, yeah, this really is bits of a genuine Spanish wreck. Part of the reason they didn't believe it is because typically things aren't as well-preserved as this wood was, but now that they've got a theory about the coldness of the water, not as salty because of the Columbia River and some other factors, they think it's legitimate. What they don't know is whether there's anything left of the actual wreck itself, you know, the main hull parts, but based on the preserved characteristic of these wood bits, they think that seems very likely. But no, they haven't found it, nor is there a cave, nor are there some evildoers or, or anything else involved in this story. This is supposed to be water. It's wet, ain't it? Drink it! The Santa Cristo de Burgos was built in the Philippines in the 17th century. It left Manila in 1693. They don't know what happened to it. They think it had to do with strong winds in the North Pacific, followed by some storms, perhaps. I mean, ships go down all the time, right? For his part, Andes says that he was captivated by the legend of the galleon since he was a child, and he used to spend hours poring over photos and documents. And when he first found the piece, he wasn't sure what it was. But when he found more timbers that were unusually hard, punctured with small square holes, that's when he drew the conclusion. And it does kind of seem like a good lesson about perseverance. Goonies never say die! And here we have a bit of a disagreement because apparently there is a cave involved. Of course there's a cave involved. And the Oregon State Parks Department is trying to remove all of the pieces so that treasure hunters won't come and disrupt the scene and won't be driven to come and mess with it. Andy's thinks, let them take stuff. Let them look around. This is kind of the fun, right? They're going to find out about it anyway. No official word on whether the Oregon State Parks Department is using a switchblade in its effort to keep the information to itself. The only thing we serve is tongue. <laughs> you boys like tongue? And finally, from the, oh my God, this is so super gross, I can't believe I'm going to tell you about it, don't say I didn't warn you file, worms. Nasty worms. Worms that are actually damaging land in the United States, a lot in California, but also across the country in different places. There are two different kinds of plague worms that are besieging us now. The first is called the Asian jumping worm, or Amynthus agrestis. Now, of the two, this is the less creepy one, and that's scary. Because if you look at them, they sort of look like regular earthworms, but then when you touch them, they wriggle so rapidly that they actually flop themselves up in the air several inches. I mean, I mean, it's really creepy looking. The problem with these worms is they reproduce very quickly. They tend to eat the protective layers of leaf litter and topsoil that are at the top level of your ground, and they excrete pellets that actually make the soil structure poor and kill plants. So though they sort of look like earthworms, they do the exact opposite of earthworms in terms of degenerating the soil. Like I said, that's the first problem worm. The second one, oh, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. It's called a hammerhead worm. And there's a whole bunch of different kinds of these. The classification is Bipalium coenzi. And what they look like is just a strange worm. And like I said, there's all different kinds and colors, but the very front of them have what looks like a hammerhead or like an axe blade maybe laying flat across the front of the worm's body. In and of itself, not such a big deal. 
It's what they do that is so disgusting. They're predators. They eat all kinds of different things, including creatures that are quite bigger than themselves. But their favorite delicacy is actual worms, other worms, earthworms. And the way they do this is they get next to the worm and then they kind of cover it, trap it in place. And then out of a mouth, which is actually located on kind of the belly of the worm in the middle, they open the mouth up and the pharynx or the back of the mouth think alien and it uses enzymes to liquefy the target worm gradually until it can basically lick up all of the residue. Oh, I've seen pictures, and you will never be able to unsee the pictures. And much like the jumping worm, the problem here is that they predate upon earthworms, which are really, really important to the ecosystem, right? So in both of these cases, you have worms that are really destroying the quality of farmland wherever they are, but there's another wrinkle. If you find either one of these worms, you can't just cut it in half. That won't kill it. That'll make two worms. And now you have two of the problem. In fact, the hammerhead worm, this is actually how it reproduces. It sticks its back end to the ground, and then the front end pulls away, cutting itself in half, producing two worms, which it does a couple of times a month. So if you happen to find either one of these worms, the advice on how to kill them is actually different. For the hammerhead, you use salt or citrus oil. For the jumping worms, there's a kind of mustard water mix on the soil, which will irritate the worms and bring them up to the surface. And then once you pick them out, I kid you not, the recommendation is put them in a bag sealed and leave them in the sun to basically dry up to death before throwing them away. Do not cut them in half. So there's your update from the world of parasitic unkillable worms for today. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star review. Don't get your finger trapped inside the worm. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.